welcome to the B2B Thought Leadership Podcast, where it's our job to share insights on how you can become the go-to thought leader in your industry. I'm your host, Alejandro Sanoja, founder and digital strategist at Latin Presarios, and today our guest is Lisa Skytebor. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Lisa is an ergonomic expert and loves a unique problem to solve and enjoy finding great solutions for people's workplaces of any kind. She has over 10 years of experience in the ergonomic and health safety industry and has completed over 4,000 ergonomic evaluations, which means it's her instinct to want to help provide solutions effectively. Lisa, let's begin with your personal brand as an ergonomist. When your name enters a professional conversation in your industry, what do you think are the thoughts and emotions that come to mind for the people having that conversation? So I think with uh, ergonomics, it's a new field for a lot of people. So depending on who's in that professional conversation, people think, what in the world do you actually do? And I want to ask more questions to understand it. If they know anything about my background, they might be wondering how I got to be where I am today. Um, a lot of people also look at the age factor that based on the type of science that's related to the career, how in the world do I have that much experience underneath my belt at the age that I am and how did I get to be where I am today? So I think the bottom line is there's a lot more questions and curiosity around the career choice. And if they're looking at me as an overall person, uh, that does make people want to ask a few follow-up questions almost instantaneously. And I do have a, a follow-up question to that because you mentioned <laughs> that you didn't go to school for this particular field where you're working, but it was because you had five car accidents in two years that you decided to go into it. So please tell us more about that. Yeah, I promise I'm not a bad driver. Only one of the five was my fault. I just have to put that out there first. Okay. But that being said, um, my background actually started in graphic design or visual communication. And with that, basically where we were at with the economy, I had to look for a way to reinvent myself at the time I was graduating college and just starting my career. Um, at that time is synchronous with the time of the five car accidents, all within that two years uh, time span. And here I was in my early 20s at that point and really hardly able to do a lot of normal day-to-day -day activities. I couldn't sit for longer than 30 to 45 minutes without being in pain. I couldn't walk for more than a mile or two and be really tired or sore. And I thought, this is not the life I want forever. Um, and so my job at that time was working for a chiropractic center and the doctor and I were talking about ways to grow our patient base and ergonomics kept coming up in my research. So I took the dive and became certified in ergonomics when it was not a mainstream topic and in return found out such a value for my own health. And it was a really easy transition at that point to really put that passion for what was helping me into other people's lives and grow the patient database that we had, which obviously helped that specific practice. And then moving forward in my career, just thinking about how I can make an impact 
and based on my personal experience living and breathing it every day. And that's something I never thought I would be able to do as a graphic designer or in that art spectrum. Do you find that most people um, come through the topic through pain? Because um, you mentioned that you worked there in the in the office and you helped get the patients and that's how you, you got into the field. And I, I think about ergonomics as something that it's kind of like, or the problems that lead to needing ergonomics, it's kind of like those silent killers like heart attack and the others that, yeah, you don't die when you start eating greasy foods right away, but slowly if you do it for many years, then it happens and it's, it's kind of like those silent killers. And I've, I have to confess that I've bought some um, ergonomic um, gadgets because of the campaigns we've worked together and reading your content. So at some point I was like, Hmm, maybe I should get a trackball because I'm reading all this content. <laughs> and like, I don't know. And and I try to take care of my health. That's that's something important. But in your experience, what are the typical ways that people in which people get interested about ergonomics? Do you find it's, it's usually through pain or are there other ways in which people are now getting being aware that this is something that they should invest in? I think the easiest way to get people involved in ergonomics and really caring about the career that I'm in overall is if they are in pain, they want to solve that problem. That's the, truly the easiest. Um, and coming from a place where I can relate to being in the pain and relieving the pain through many times simple solutions is a game changer to be relatable to those people. Um, the other kind of prong of it though, is that people are caring more about their health and wellness they are noticing in day-to-day -day life how much they're sitting at a computer or just on their phone all day and they're feeling it at a much younger age um, and so it really hits that general population that as soon as they see one small habit or one small piece of equipment that's related to that ergonomic field it's really a game changer and it's kind of like the give a mouse a cookie book if you've ever read that children's book that they keep wanting more and more because that one small thing was just a positive catalyst for them. Correct. Correct. And so you've mentioned you've built a lot of experience in this field, way more than people would imagine at your point in your career. What would you say are the elements that have made that happen? Like if you, if you could point back in your career to the moment that you, you've decided to build that expertise, what, what do you think are those elements? So I think that I've always been an incredibly driven person and I've always wanted to make sure I could succeed and leave a legacy for my daughter. Um, that being said, even before I had kids, I wanted to make sure that I could set myself up for success. And to me, that meant that I had to have a safety net and a safety net to the safety net. So while one person might be working 40 hours a week at one job, I was working 40 hours a week at one job, going to grad school full-time and doing a side job on top of that. So it's really a triple amount of experience in that time frame that a lot of people may only have one, but for myself, that's just, I had to get it done. I, that's what it meant for me to really be at the place that I wanted to be. And it's, it's proven to be true. And I can't believe that I've had the experience that I've had in the time that I've had it 
but I think that it just opens up so many more possibilities to have that depth and breadth of experience at this age. If, if you could go back in time, Lisa, so it seems that you were, you were going at a 120 miles an hour for, for several years. Is there anything that you would do differently if you could go back and start all over again? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, if I could start all the way back again, um, I mean, even in high school, I was accelerating through classes that I could have technically graduated like a semester early. Um, so for myself and just the way that I am made and know what my brain can actually handle, I wish that I could have taken more college credits earlier on and been even further than what I am right now because I know that I, I could handle it um, and really look at how I could have strengthened my position in the industry even earlier than I did. Uh, but, you know, everything happens for a reason and the time that it does. And certainly everything shaped me to be where I am today. Lisa, what would you say are the key steps that you've taken to help more people get to know you, like you and trust you in your industry? If you were putting out there a roadmap or a strategy plan for anybody out there that thinks, hey, you know what? I also want to help people achieve wellness in their workplace. I want also to be in the ergonomic space. What would you say are those three, four, five, I don't know, 10 activities that you've done to help position yourself as an expert in the industry? Um, I think number one is networking. I think networking is an incredibly powerful tool. Uh, even when I was getting into the ergonomic field to begin with, I searched out leaders in the ergonomic field to understand what their path was to get to where they were. So someone could be looking at me in that same way today. Um, I would connect with them, see if they wanted to engage in a conversation. And maybe the top leader at that point didn't want to, but then go for someone that has a few less followers and try to find someone that will talk with you about it. Do your research on the career and understand what it takes to get there. And for myself, it was looking at all of the different options for certifications or education, um, or if it was a number of uh, practicum type hours that was there. Um, and then to become relatable and to, to really establish that credibility, it's meeting people where they are at the knowledge level they might have on the career path. And so what I'm finding even right now is even though I've been in the ergonomic industry for literally a decade, which is crazy for me to say, um, I'm putting posts out right now of what is ergonomics and what does this even mean? And when I think about posting that type of content on LinkedIn, I think the majority of my people already know what that is, but surprisingly, that's some of the most engaging content out there because there's other people that I haven't networked with as strongly that are trying to understand and relate to me and understand that level that we meet at. So meeting people at their level, understanding where they are and then grow together really establishes that trust and really strengthens the relationships that I built there. Absolutely. And, and it's evident that you've put a lot of work into building the product that you are as a professional, right? Like your skill set, your experience, your your network and of course it's, it's no secret that we've been working together for a while and and i've noted that you've made some changes on your overall professional um, package let's say it that way right like it's no secret that 
the better package is going to get more attention. It's likely to be able to command a better pricing that's known overall in the con in the consumer um, product industry. And of course, it's the same in the professional industry. And at what point in your career would you say you started paying attention to these elements of, and I know, for example, you were in blue, which is in line with your brand and you do it in your life, which by the way, I'm jealous because I've been applying to that. Um, <laughs> Latin live feature for a while and I think it, I recommended you to do it and you got it very quickly pretty so, quick uh, <laughs> I'm still working on my internal emotions about that but at, at, what, <laughs> at what point in your career did you decide okay I I know I'm an expert and I I want to get more people to benefit from this so I also need to work on the packaging of what I put out there yeah, I mean, I think for me, it was when I saw the needle start to move and the number of people that were requesting to connect and or the level of engagement that I was getting and the type of people, it wasn't just someone random in a foreign country that had no correlation to what I did. These were people that were in my industry or even senior le leadership in corporations that were reaching out to me. So if I looked at my selfie photo that I had on LinkedIn, uh, with no background and not filled out everything completely, um, you know, what kind of, that doesn't show that it's a complete package at that point. Mm -hmm. So for myself, I needed to start taking those steps to have a more professional um, headline or a header area there, have a more professional photo, really tweak the copy that's on there to really promote the successes that I've had throughout my career to be more marketable. And as I started to do that, um, I was actually able to obtain the job I'm in currently, mm -hmm. as well as the previous job through purely LinkedIn by being visible there. It gravitated the attention. And I have to believe that it helped my resume go to the top of the surface because I had poured the energy into really portraying myself on social media as a professional, uh, career-driven person, not just someone looking for another job. If you had to, let's let's dig in deeper into that particular comment you mentioned. So you said, okay, I got some jobs on LinkedIn. Could you explain if you, let's say, you had a plan on, on how to do it on a weekly basis? Um, did you have some tactics that you were working on, like, I don't know, messaging people or looking at their profiles and then they would come back? Are there any strategics or tactical elements to so that let's say somebody's out there listening to this and they think I don't have a job and I want to get a job and I want to use Lisa's suggestion because if one might be logged but two in a row it clearly there's a trend there and something that's something that you're doing great so if you were putting out a strategy and a tactic manual for somebody on how to build your expertise on LinkedIn and get a job what would you say are the most important elements they have to cover so I will say, um, in the experience that I had, people literally found me. I wasn't looking necessarily. Um, in the current role that I'm in, it was through a recruiting company. So I would take that approach to say, think about that bigger picture, that it's not necessarily just a person to be connected to, but the overarching industry or larger companies that you think you would want to work for. Um, and just make sure you are checking your social media frequently as those things can always pop up there. But in the past, when I have been um, looking and seeking actual or employment, not unemployment, 
Um, with that being said, I would go message people, ask if they knew anyone that might have a position available in this type of field and proactively reach out to people. And I would do that on probably a weekly to bi-weekly basis, just depending on how serious I was at that point. Um, from those, I would always get a lot of help and more connections back. So that expanded my network. And even though at the point that I was doing that specific tactic, I wasn't um, getting an actual job offer from it, but it was expanding my network, expanding my brand, and really expanding the reach overall that I had, which I believe helped me in the future um, get to be where I am today to have those network connections there. Correct. You mentioned using LinkedIn, dedicating time to make sure you're getting to know your industry, connecting with people. Are there any other resources that have helped you build a strong personal brand in the industry? Are there any, I know you mentioned that you prefer articles. So are there any, any websites that you read um, continuously, anything out there that if somebody's thinking, okay, this is my toolkit to build my personal brand and be known in my industry, what would you recommend them to get or leverage? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do feel bad saying I don't read a lot of books because I just don't have the attention span for it. But I do think that I can go down a rabbit hole with articles and research and truly find a different value. It's not to say one's better or worse than the other. But for myself, I feel that setting up Google keywords to things that you're interested in to know what is actually going on in the industry I'll be honest, I don't read it every single day, um, but I think that if I have a few minutes before bed or on my lunch hour or in the morning, when you're just starting those, um, your brain actually turning at that point, I see if anything sparks my interest to read. And a lot of times there may be one or two articles and then I'll read that one. And of course, fall for a link that's included in that article and start going down that path. And if something has sparked my interest enough, then I'll start doing a secondary search just through um, Google or another search engine to figure out what else is going around that topic. And if I can become that expert on those trending topics on new things that are coming out mm -hmm. and then post about it on social media or talk to my colleagues about it, it really repositions me to be that thought leader versus the thought follower because I'm getting up-to-date knowledge on what other people are talking about in the industry and other things that I may personally or professionally be interested in as well. So you mentioned you're, you're, you're reading, you're posting, you're sharing, you're connecting with people. How do you deal with the typical fear of sounding egotistical, right? Like there's this image of the social media influencer that is just, um, posting selfies and just talking about themselves and their lives and how much I know. So how do you balance that mindset of, Hey, I can help people with what I do and I need to put it out there. Even the most, like you said, the most basic ergonomic elements and in, in definitions and information, because that can be helpful with the, the typical thoughts that we get of, Hey, what are people going to say? Are they going to not like this? So, Tell us a little bit more about what goes through your head when you're talking about what you do and sharing content online. Yeah, I mean, I think I look at the calendar of content more like a patchwork quilt kind of thing. And so I'm looking at patterns that I might see that people don't wanna see a picture of me 
at my workstation every day. That becomes old news very quickly. And also it can be egotistical and all of those things. What I do think people find value in though, is that if I'm stating I've had this problem and this fixed it, or I'm struggling with this today, and this is what I'm looking at for a solution to become relatable to them, they de definitely grasp onto that concept. But then you have to also mix it in with, I don't know it all, I want your opinion, and this is also what the industry is saying. So pulling in those other articles um, or from different brands of what different companies are saying about a topic. So it's really finding that balance and seeing where people really gravitate the most. Sometimes uh, posts that I put out there, I think, oh, this is gonna be so great. We're gonna have a ton of engagement. I think I'm gonna have a lot of activity around it. And then it's crickets. Mm -hmm. And then there's other things that I'm like, oh, you know, it'll be fine. I'll just post this article. And it's, it's a nice filler kind of thing for this piece of the quilt that I'm making this month. And then that's what gets the most engagement. Um, so it's really who's scrolling through social media, who's really thinking about that topic at that time, and it's finding that balance of what can really grab their attention. And I think it just depends with the variety of people that I have that I am connected with of what people are actually going to reach out to as well. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's just like one small part of this big thing that you're building and you just focus on, on that little element. Now, Lisa, you mentioned that you focus a lot on building a meaningful relationships and building your network. And a lot of that is or happens with that first impression whenever you meet somebody at an event or how do you introduce yourself? So when people ask you, what do you do? What is your typical answer? I like to ask them what they think I do, um, just because I think it's interesting if they have no idea and there's no wrong answer in it but I think they already have a preconceived notion of what they think that I do. So if I can understand again, meeting them at their level of what they may or may not understand about me is a good place to start. If I'm saying, hey, I'm Lisa Skydevore Schuler, this is what I do, then I literally would just phrase it as, I work for a tech company, but I manage the ergonomic category of products, meaning that I'm looking at different things that would make that product better, um, but also broadcasting and marketing those products for Kensington out there. So it's not just one thing that I do, but it's really becoming one with the products, I guess you could say, and understanding how to market those, but then also how to improve and um, really get all that feedback as well. Yeah, it, it seems that you've worked on this so that you, you make sure you really given the answer that people need at that moment. Um, I do something very similar when people ask me, what do you do? I do whatever it takes and I usually get a laugh. And then, um, and then I, cause, and then I see if I actually get another question and that tells me, oh, they really want to know, right? Cause sometimes people are just polite in an event or something. Like right. That. Um, yeah, but that's a good way to put it. Is this something like, is this a, a story that you've worked on and edited? Um, like, have you gauged the reaction with that? What do you think I know, right? Like, are those things that you've worked on? Or like, how do you come up with this process and this answer so that you make sure you're serving whoever's asking you that question? I think in my experience of networking, whether it's in a professional ergonomic atmosphere, if it's a general marketing atmosphere, or if it's just friends and family trying to understand what in the world I do, 
most of the people um, already have that preconceived notion of what they think I do. And until we understand what they know about it, mm -hmm. I've really had to step back every single time. And so I look at it as I could be talking to um, kind of distant eyes if I go into automatically, this is the science of ergonomics of helping, blah, 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 you know, that kind of mentality. And people get glazed over. They don't care. Mm -hmm. But if you can take them back to their level, and that's the same thing if you're going through an ergonomic assessment with someone, they don't necessarily understand all of the body mechanics, but if you can understand that their wrist hurts or their back hurts, coming to them at that level is really going to get their buy-in and want to know more and making sure that it is an engaged conversation and it's not just me speaking at them. Correct, correct. Yeah, sometimes we're so much in autopilot when we're asking those questions and giving those answers that it just becomes a blur, but it's absolutely true. Something else that works that I've, in, in my experience, it's worked a lot. It's using, you know how stories. So your example would be something like, hey, you know how sometimes your wrist hurts when you've been, or your neck hurts when you've been sitting too much in your, at your workstation? Well, that's because of X, Y, and C, right? Like you probably know more than, than I would about that. And then you go to your story like, well, what I do is I actually help people who have those um, pains and, and, and help them do better with that. But yeah, absolutely. It has to be a little bit more natural and take people out of their kind of like automatic response. Now, Lisa, let's, let's think a little bit more about your unique selling proposition when you when people do business with you what do you think are the top two to three reasons behind their decision to do so with me as a person or the brand that i represent or through the company that i work for what which prong do you want to go through on that i would say all let's start okay. with one and then and then we can explore the other ones yeah, I mean, I think for myself as a personal brand, it is because I'm relatable and I want to not just sell a product to them, but it's really making sure that they understand why I'm recommending something and the science behind it in a easy to understand way. Taking that to Kensington for the company that I currently am with, it's something that the sales reps don't have the same background as me. The people the sales reps are talking to don't have the same background as me. So in order to really have that trust built and make that sale and really be the, the company that they would choose to go to for their ergonomic solutions, we have to understand, again, where their knowledge is currently on the subject and have subject matter available for that beginner, intermediate, and advanced knowledge level so that you are able to continue down that funnel and really uh, build that trust and credibility around them as a sales rep that they're broadcasting the message that I'm putting together, but then trusting that brand that the next product that Kensington comes out with is going to be equal or better than the last based on their experience and the content they've received around it. Perfect. So we can say that you help people achieve wellness in their workplace with, with everything that you do. And you mentioned a, a key point in it before I go into this, I, I want to make sure we cover this because you mentioned, I want to make sure that people know that I'm connecting with them, that I'm not just here to sell them something, right? Whether you do it on, in person on LinkedIn, but then on the other hand, we are on LinkedIn 
to help our careers, right? So at some point right. that needs to turn into a number, right? Either if you're an employee at a company that needs to turn into hopefully more deals or more visibility, something that helps your brand, there has to be a number there. If you have your own business, it has to turn into clients at some point. So how do you find the balance between, yes, I want to help you achieve wealth, but also we're here to at some point sell some products or services so that I can actually help you. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think that that trust is the groundwork that has to be laid. And then they keep coming back as a repeat customer after that trust is built. I think uh, one of the big differences between a category like mine of health and well-being, it's not a tangible device that you're solving for. It's our organic body that we're trying to deal with. And a laptop is configured exactly the same way with USB ports or whatever it might be that it's very much plug this in, this will work. And with ergonomics, it's not built like that because you're dealing with a person that could be very different than the person next to them. The fit would be different. And so for customers that we're trying to build those relationships with, they have to understand that we know what we're talking about but we've also taken into consideration that it's not just one solution and they do have to come back to us when they need that person to the left solution and the person to their left solution. And it may not always be, Hey, we're going to buy 5,000 of this product, but it could be, they're going to buy 30 now. And then this other one needed 35 of this or whatever. And it builds that way. So it's a pretty different model than um, a typical IT type product sale would be. But I think it's important to understand the background of it because you're looking at organic versus this device does this and it outputs this kind of power and that type of thing. That's a good point. So who do you think it's a person that you can help the most, right? Like if you had somebody in front of you that you can talk about, how is it that you help people achieve wellness. Who is that person that you should have a conversation to have that bigger impact? Is it individual consumers out there? Or is there a person like, and I don't know exactly what that position would be. Is there somebody in HR that makes those decisions about, hey, you know what, we're going to buy trackballs for everybody in our company, or we're going to buy um, a backrest for everybody in our company so that we are, we make sure we are taking care of our people, who would, who would that ideal client be for you? So that ideal client would be every single person on earth, but no, um, in all seriousness, all seriousness with it. I mean, going back to the it comparison, every company has a person that is in charge of it. Now they may have another part of their job. If it's a smaller company or there may, may be an entire department of people working on that. Uh, it's a bit different with ergonomics because it can sometimes be under IT. It can sometimes be under HR. It can be under facilities. It can be under safety. So, um, and many companies are just starting um, with the global pandemic to get into ergonomics because they are seeing that value and the struggles that their workers are going through. Um, so for myself, it I say it jokingly, but it really is every single person is a decision maker in this because they have to want it for themselves to implement the new habit. And as soon as they have seen the success for themselves, then they would be more likely to recommend it to their HR department or to someone else in their company 
And it really does take a lot of group buy-in to get that ergonomic program started because people see it sometimes as additional spending, mm -hmm. whereas it's really considered vital spending if you're looking at your employees' health and wellness to be a priority to your company. Vital investment, I would say. Um, I do have the laptop stand. I, I got this the standing desk, the trackball, and I do notice that you just feel a little bit better just because you're, you're taking care of these elements. So how do you find that the majority of people discover this? In my case, of course, it's because we've been working together, but to the average person out there, how do they usually get into the world of ergonomics? Is it, do you find that it's it more because of pain or is it more because they're interested in health and wellness and they, they arrived at the topic through that avenue? Yeah, I think the two very opposite ends of the spectrum that are easiest to get into the spectrum of ergonomics, one would be pain. They're doing those Google searches of how to solve for this, mm -hmm. and they're trying to figure out what that would be. So that has the highest search volume uh, from the pain side of it. So those people are going to quickly gravitate towards, I need to make my wrist feel better. I need a wrist rest, or I need an ergonomic keyboard, or whatever that might be. The other side is those people that if I want to stereotype anyone today, it would be the yogis or those mm -hmm. people that are really focused on being that best health and wellness person that they can be. And they're searching for how do I feel better? How can I do exercises at my desk during the day? So they're two very different searches that people are looking for. And then everyone in the middle is where kind of that main street is happening right now that companies are saying, hey, you've been working at home for a year mm -hmm. and they're starting to feel something different, but not necessarily pain. And they're starting to turn that leaf of, oh, I should probably check something out, but I don't really know if it would do anything or not. So two opposite ends and then that big pool in the middle of companies having to make that directive of you should consider an ergonomic assessment or consider this type of equipment in your setup. Correct. And, and that's a good point because economically, if given everything that's going on with the pandemic, if there's a transition, I'm sure budgets are going to be available because if people, if companies spend way less money on just offices and, and the equipment that's there, that should go to something like ergonomics, right? Like we have this budget, now you're at home, here's X amount so that you can go online and, and buy whatever you need for your for your workstation. So that's, that's, that's a good point. Now let's say there's somebody in pain listening to us right now, or we have a couple of yogis listening to us right now. How would they find out more about what is it that they need at this point? Or how do they find more about what are the products or items out there that could help them either get away from that pain or keep traveling down the route of wellness. Yeah, I think when they're not finding that Google search paying off quickly, I can tell you a really easy way to get that customized solution for you. Um, Kensington's actually built a wellness product finder on their website through kensington.com underneath the resources. And with that, you're able to choose what your work style looks like. And I'm a millennial, so I have to look into the style of the workstation. And I know everyone else does care about that, at least a little bit. And so it goes to that 
depth of the solution that it's asking where you're working, what you want that workspace to look like, uh, what type of connections you have to make sure we get the right products for you, and then what kind of pain you're having, or if you're just looking to really have that ultimate health and wellness setup. And it puts out products for you that are geared exactly towards those preferences without having to actually do a million Google searches mm -hmm. and you're getting that really good product set that um, I personally, with all of the experience I have, have been able to pinpoint those solutions for those different setups. And we'll make sure we add a link to that in the show notes and, and whenever we share, of course, our episode online. Lisa, is there anything else, any word? I know you're on LinkedIn, so people can find you there. Any other resources that you would like to share with the audience other than connecting with you on LinkedIn or going and finding that, that product finder? I think another area to look into more information about ergonomics and understanding some of the research that I've looked into as I'm curating a lot of that content around it is the blog section of Kensington. We're constantly putting out new content there and really trying to keep it on trend with what people are talking about. Um, I've done the LinkedIn Lives and um, Alex will get you on there sometime mm -hmm. <laughs> so that you can have that shared stage there. But really making sure that we are up to date and staying trendy really with what people are talking about because if it's antiquated information, um, you know, people don't need to know that. They want to know the here and the now. So the blogs at Kensington would be a great place to go for that. Well, there there you go. Blog, product finder, connect on LinkedIn, lots of good resources and points of contact. Lisa, thank you very much for making the time to be on the podcast and putting out information, not only on how people can build their brand, but also how they can achieve wellness in have a, a balanced work life experience, especially now with COVID and everything that, that we're going through. So of course, you. I always will talk about it all day long. It's what I'm passionate about. And certainly uh, I'll keep talking about it every day. Perfect. Well, thank you very much and see you on the next episode. Thank you for subscribing to the B2B Thought Leadership Podcast. It's our goal to help you become the go-to thought leader in your niche. That's why we do these interviews and we create the content. So if you want more of it, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and all the podcast platforms and especially subscribe to the YouTube channel. Click that subscription button, click the notification bell so that whenever new content comes out, you are the first to know about it. Thanks again and see you in the next episode.